Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all, and uh, I appreciate your attendance here, especially if you're a soccer fan, because I know the World Cup's going on right now. So I'm glad that glad you're here. Right, we have a 32 people in Honduras right now, and I know Pastor Arturo today was very, he was not sure what to do because, of course, you have to have priorities and you should have church before soccer. But in Honduras, you know, that's a dilemma, you know. And so he said, do I cancel church and then look sacrilegious or do I have church and nobody shows up, you know. So, um, but I've heard some amazing stories. They get back tomorrow night and I just got a text from Jay Lida saying God is doing some really cool things there. So, you know, when I get the opportunity to speak, you know, usually I share, you know, some things God's doing in my own life. But I also like to just share, um, do some things differently. And so I was at, at uh, breakfast with a guy a few weeks ago. And we began to talk, and especially what God has been doing in he and his wife's lives here these last, uh, last past year. But overall, just to hear their story, I think it would be cool to, for you to hear their faith story like I did that day. So many of you know, Bonnie and uh, uh, David Newcomb, would you guys come forward? You see them a lot in, uh, at the front, front doors. They welcome you a lot on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, David has given his testimony or spoken a little bit at one of our men's breakfasts a couple years ago. Bonnie is a D group leader, invests a lot in our younger ladies in our church. But I really thought it would be good for you to hear their story. Um, so let's, let's bow in a word of prayer. I know this is not something they do all the time, so I want to pray for them. Um, Father God, I thank you um, for this time and the opportunity for, for David and Bonnie to share their faith story. And I just pray you just, your spirit would lead as they share. And um, Lord, you would give our hearts and our ears uh, be open to what you would have you say to us through their story. And I just thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to talk to you a little bit. It probably is good to share a little bit of their background. So Bonnie's originally from Iowa in a small town of how many people? 700 people? 700 or less. 700 or less. Grew up on a farm. Your dad was a farm, uh, farmer. And, um, but tell a little bit, everyone, a little bit of, their, of your background, especially from a spiritual standpoint growing up with your mom and dad, your, your uh, oldest brother, that type of thing. Well, first of all, I'm humbled to be here, and I know that this is God's story, actually, and, and we see his fingerprints all over our life from this time we're getting ready to talk about till this day. And so I know that many of you have that same story that, of some of the things that you'll hear, but um, I lived on a farm. We were poor. My dad just worked on the farm. Um, there was some sexual violation of my dad towards me. Um, so I found my satisfaction in playing basketball because I was actually this tall in seventh grade. Yeah. So we actually um, have a picture. That's, we want to show. There's Bonnie, and uh, this is your that's, college. That's picture. college picture. But so I found a lot of satisfaction playing basketball because that, you know, satisfied some of the things that I wasn't. There was no spiritual direction in my family. We did not go to church, um, but 
to speak to the importance of disciples. There were, there were some disciples in my life, even as a young child, that's, that were introducing me and teaching me about the Lord. So I knew God, about God, but we really had, there was no spiritual direction in my family at all. So it's, it's just keep that in mind. It's so important about how God uses people and uses you to touch the lives of others, regardless of how small or how old that he does. So I went to college in a little, another small, not quite that small, but a little bigger town, right, 20 miles from where I grew up, and went to William Penn University, and I played basketball there, and like I said, basketball was a huge part of my life, shot baskets every day for like eight years, never missed a day. So, uh, but... um, And she's being really humble here, (laughs) um, because she, she averaged, averaged 45 points a game in high school. So, I mean, average. So, um, like David said in her first service, she's the, the athlete in the family, there's no doubt. But she's very humble in that way. Made the Hall of Fame at William Penn. Uh, their team was ranked fourth in the nation one year. So, don't be too humble. Now. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, that was back in the day when girls, women's basketball was just get started. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway. So, um, to speak to that basketball part, though, because he gave me that talent and I was so focused on that talent... Uh, as I got older and had my own kids and started coaching, that really became an idol for me. And it became a way of, uh, that's all I could think about, that's all I could talk about. I mean, I wore him out with it about, you know, when the girls played in high school and college and I was coaching. And so the Lord took that from me and took that idol away from me and allowed me to see that I was using that as an idol and has allowed me to now use that kind of as a ministry in now that I have the opportunity to coach special needs kids and I get to see the joy and the pleasure that they get out of that something that he allowed gave to me so um, yes basketball is a huge part of my life that got me to college and got me where you know to do the things that I need to do but sometimes those things can also become an idol in our life yeah and so she's from Iowa so David um, is on the other side of the country um, in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I didn't realize they've been coming to Hillside about four years. But a couple years ago, I said, David Nukin, and I'm, you know me, I'm a baseball buff or a fan or whatever. So I said, Nukem, Nukem, North Jersey, right close to New York City. I just go up to David one time and said, there's a guy. If you remember, um, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. And then the second guy that Branch Rickey signed as an African-American, was a guy named Don Newcomb. And I just went up to David and said, Don Newcomb, you're not related to him, are you? And he said, yeah, that's my uncle, my godfather. And so a minute, immediately I'm in awe. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. So, but here's David, um, East Orange, New Jersey, um, and you have a very tenuous uh, relationship with your Dad, why don't you explain a little bit of your relationship, your home environment, that type of thing, coming out of East Orange? Well, first, let me just reiterate what Bonnie said. This is truly uh, God working in in a man's life. Uh, But, you know, all due props to Bonnie. I am a good athlete, too. So that was part of our draw. So we, we played sports together in college, and, and that was the really one common thing we actually had because everything else, city, country, just didn't work. But growing up, and, you know, it was, it was rough. Um, my mom and dad weren't married. Um, they, they lived the life as though they were. 
Um, I was born in 56. My mom had been married before. There were two other children. And, and so they, they really never got married until like 1980 when Bonnie and I got married. So it was really weird. Then they got divorced four years later. But growing up, there was really this no role as to what dad should really be and how important dad is. And, and you know, and, and, and I'm living it saying, well, whenever I'm a dad, I'm not going to be like that. I can tell you that. And, and so to the point where there was a lot of verbal abuse, there was a lot of physical abuse, uh, there was sexual abuse with siblings. So th this was very dysfunctional. And, and th there was no spirituality in our home at all. Uh, my dad was a Baptist. My mom was a Catholic. So there, wasn't, there was a conflict going on even in religion. You know, she hated the Baptist church because of the hooping and hollering. And, and my dad hated the Catholic church because of the ritualistic and up and down and the kneeling and standing and all that stuff. So they never went to church. But my mom enrolled us in parochial school or Catholic school. So, you know, I was an altar boy and doing all the things that needed to be done because I found that that was enjoyable. Uh, plus, if you did a funeral, you got two bucks. So, you know, two dollars, <laughs> you know, it, it, that went a long way. Two bucks, you know, and it'd be like today, it'd be like getting a 20. So, you know, it was like, wow, you know, I, I'm going to do that more often. So weddings and funerals, I'm always raising my hand. To, I got to go to church. And, and for them, oh, okay, well, as long as you're not hanging out, you know, breaking the law, that we'd rather you do that than this. But from the fatherly standpoint, there was, there was really nothing there. And, you know, I, it just comes to mind, you know, you as dads and loving your children, would give advice, and there's one thing, one thing out of all of the things that he may have said to me was one thing that stood out, and that is, if you're ever going to be good at something, be a good one. If you're going to be a garbage man, be a good one. If you're going to be, you're talking about a professional athlete, be a good one. That was it. There was, there was no how to be a man, how to be a father, how to be a husband, how to love God, how to, how to live a life that is pleasing, how to be nothing. So it broke that, yeah. that relational piece. And you actually leave home um, your junior year of high school mm -hmm. and go out on your own because your dad's, you and your dad's relationship was so rough. Um, so you live by yourself. You go to school. You um, go to practice after school. You get a, go to a job, go to practice, and live on, on yourself. And then he tells the story, um, you know, he's a pretty good quarterback in high school, and he gets to three days before your first game your senior year. And he's got schools like Rutgers and some pretty sizable schools in the Northeast looking at him, and you break your wrist. And so that dream all of a sudden is shattered. And so, but you remember, mentioned um, two people in your high school, um, your coach and uh, a counselor in her high school that was able to get him into William Penn out in Iowa. So here's the city boy that takes a flight to Iowa and then takes the bus. And he go, can tell you a great story there about what is this corn stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so you guys meet in, and David, you know, he goes there to play football. It looks like the Green Bay Packers. Somebody said, hey, I think he played in the NFL. Actually, this is his, high, this is his college pic picture of playing there. And you guys meet. And you meet uh, first, Thanksgiving 1975. Uh, Bonnie, um, you know, David 
can't go back home for Thanksgiving, and he's there at campus by himself, and Bonnie just says, hey, you got any place to go? I'm having some of the athletes over, and your mom loves to cook, and that's when you guys first meet. Start dating in 1976, right? So tell us a little bit as that process about going through that, and you, you start, you know, hanging out at her place and working two summers, and you guys get pretty close, as it would say, we would say. We were real close. <laughs> So, Bonnie, you graduate. Here's a picture of Bonnie's graduation, yes. 1978, right? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so that's 1978, her graduation. You take a job in northern Iowa as mm -hmm. a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. So leave, and David, David's only a junior. You're younger than her, right? Yes, I am. Thanks, you robbed Dave. the cradle. Yeah, you want to mention that. <laughs> so David stays for his senior. You go to northern Iowa. And I know we, we have this little – you can't read this. This is a little card that um, – Bonnie actually gives to David when he, she's getting ready to go to Northern Iowa. And I have it written down because you can't read it, but it's on a picture. Where is it here? Mm, it's um, but it's pretty cool at that time, um, just their love for each other and their commitment to one another. Oh, here it is. So even there will be many times that we'll be, we will be apart, no matter when or how long you are with me. And you have my, my, myself and my heart. True love is enduring of time, distance, and hard times. May ours endure forever in love always, Mac. That was your name. David would always call you Mac. So you guys are dating, and let me see. And this is actually your engagement picture. Mm -hmm. So you get engaged the summer after, your, after you graduate. Right. Right? <clears throat> and so tell us a little bit about the reaction of that with your family, because it's usually a pretty joyful day, but tell right. us a little bit about it. Usually you think of engagement as wonderful, joyful, everybody's happy for you. Well, uh, we had decided that we were gonna get engaged before I went off to my first job, and uh, my mom was very supportive. She's a very loving lady and very accepting. Um, and I have two siblings that are older than me, and um, they were both okay with it, but my dad blew up. And um, um, this is a man who, had never cracked open his, a Bible. The Bible was just something that we had some in the house, but nobody ever looked at it. And he just blew up and was all this about four, God made four races and they're supposed to stay together because you have to remember this is a little small Iowa town. And so um, he just blew up and got angry and got in the car and sped off, which was his usual mode of uh, weighing, of, of handling things. And here's why he blew up. Other than the fact that we're going to have this interracial thing going. You got to remember, this is 1978. For you older people, you remember what happened in 1968. So this, this is, a, you know, we're one of the first trendsetters on interracial, relational. And today it's different, but then. Well, when he said that to me, you know, I was a Catholic. So when he said that to me, I responded like this. Well, with all due respect, sir. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply, not add. And when I was disrespecting his position, he really got upset. So it was the fact that you should respect my position and how I am. She's now being rebellious because she's not going, oh, you're right, David, I'm sorry, I can't accept your ring. Because that was the first, really. Yes. I mean, you said you right. were a pretty... I was always, I was always very respectful of my parents, even though my dad you know, sexually molested me. I still was respectful to all my parents. I always was the good kid that got good grades and, you know, was president of the class and the basketball star. And, you know, I, 
nothing. This was the first time first that I was like, no, that's not happening. And he lost it and sped out the driveway and said, I'll never, I'll never be for this. Never. And we just kind of looked at each other. So here we're expecting pops and balloons and all this wonderful hoopla over engagement party. And I'm sure you all have had them. And ours was standing in the driveway going, wow. What, what just, just happened? happened? But you were committed to each other. Yes. And um, you go to Northern Iowa, start teaching. David stays there another year, graduates. And then you head back to East Orange for the summer. But then a buddy calls you in August of that same year and says, hey, I'm going to go to a baseball tryout. Why don't you come out, fly out? So you go to that baseball tryout, try out. But then it doesn't work out. And then there's a football booster in the hometown there of William Penn that says, hey, uh, he's a state farm agent, and he says, hey, I, I've got some opportunities for you to be a claims adjuster, right? Mm -hmm. And so you apply, get the job, and move to Fort Dodge, Iowa. And so you become a claims adjuster there. And you actually move there and live together for a year before your, your wedding day. Here's their wedding picture. And at that time, that is a, and so explain this, you're, you're Catholic, and you really don't, but that's a part where you uh, convert to Catholicism, go through catechism. But there was a time where you really felt like that was a special time in right. your life. Um, well, I was, really had no religious affiliation. He was Catholic, so he was like, you're joining the Catholic Church because we're getting married. I demanded he she demanded join the Catholic Church. So I did all that and um, went through all of the training and everything, and I got baptized. And I can tell you that I know I felt Jesus touch me on the shoulder at that baptism. And yet I can tell you also, like maybe many of you might feel, that I was not saved. I knew who he was. I knew that he was going to move in my life or that he had touched me, but I wasn't saved. I was still living a, a sinful life, living with my fiance, not being married. Um, I was doing it all for the wrong reasons. I was doing it because he told me to. He said I had to do that. So I was, wasn't until 26 years later that God truly saved me when he opened my eyes and put a new heart within me and said, here's this person. I always thought I was the good person. You know, I wasn't disrespectful. I wasn't all of that, but yet I was living with my beyond. He just showed me all of my sinfulness because it's really easy to say, well, he's really bad. Look at all the things he did to me or there. But then when he really shows you, because we are all sinful people, your sins, that's when that 26 years later, he actually, I repented and I, he's shown me the way that I should be living and that um, I can truly say that I, he, I know the life that he wants me to live and that I'm trying to, I'm living Galatians um, 2.20, which is I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up Amen. to me. So it wasn't until 26 years later that I got that. He showed it to me. But yes, I got baptized because... Yeah. Uh, and you live in Fort Dodge for five years, Dodge. and then let's fast forward. 1985, you moved to Texas. State yes. Farm moves you here. Um, and then explain a little bit your relationship and your marriage from 1985 to into the 2000s. Well, I hate going to Egypt. Believe me. Because Egypt 
was a terrible place, although it appears to be nice, but it's not. So I had to write down this so I can explain it in a very succinct way because I've been rumored to talk too much. <laughs> I am succinct. Based on God's word, this was my life. You know, Dave wants to talk about a period of time, but there is no period of time. This was me until 2003. As Paul said in Ephesians 2.1, I was dead in my trespasses and sin and my life was full of it. I wrote them down not to miss any, and I am certain there are many who can relate. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, fornication, strife, jealousy, anger with continuous outbursts, disputes, rebellion, drugs, drunkenness, carousing, bitterness, wrath, slanderer, malicious, adulterer, thief, Ecclesi uh, egotistical, you think I'd be able to read that word, selfish, arrogant, and condescending. I was blind and spiritually dead and didn't know it. I was so prideful. If you were talking to me then, this is what I would say to all of you. This is what I would say. Well, I'm a Catholic. I have five of the seven sacraments I'm going to heaven, and all of y'all are going to hell. Can you imagine the deception that I was really living as a result of my spiritual blindness? So how do you expect I was as a husband? So you could circle immorality and fornication and jealousy and outbursts of anger and drugs and alcohol and carousing and bitterness and and adultery, and you put all that in, and I'm, oh, I'm a good husband. Absolutely. We go to church. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. But you better not do anything to cross me, and you better make sure you do all these conditions, because if you don't, then you don't love me, because I don't know what this unconditional love thing is. There are conditions, and these are it, and you better admit to and follow them as my wife. That's you how you actually find out about his infidelity around 2000. And I guess from that standpoint, Bonnie, why did you stick around? I mean, wh why did you put up with that? All I can say is, but God, I really can't, I don't, but God, he has something for us to do as husband and wife, and I, he kept us together. I think that, um, you know, my marriage vows are really important to me, and I still loved him regardless of how he was. Uh, all we really have is each other because our extended family is not, we don't really have much of an extended family. Um, all I can say is now, seeing now, he was, I stayed because of this moment God has something for us to do in this moment. Um, you know, his restoring story of grace and taking sinners like us. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, look at him. He was like, no, 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 But you know what? It, it, one sin and all sins. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't any better than that if I truly looked at myself. Um, I did stand on one thing, and that was that I learned, he taught me through this time that Jesus does not disappoint my dad disappointed, he disappointed, but I know Jesus would yeah. not disappoint me. 
and that it was one thing through that period of time that I learned was that an, an amazing thing too is that I prayed constantly and diligently for God to change his heart. And even though I hadn't even been saved yet, he still heard my prayers. He had to have because he changed his heart first and changed the whole family after that. But I think those are two things all I can say is but God and that, you know, that he's the only one that won't disappoint. And that, that's what I was supposed to learn through it. Then I, I did. And you talk about the change. Um, 2003, you're working for an insurance company in Dallas and your boss is a believer and You've got all these Dallas Theological um, Seminary students that work for the same insurance company, and you get invited to a men's breakfast at Watermark Church, mm -hmm. and it's your boss. So explain that whole process of getting invited to that breakfast in two fall, fall of 2013. Just Three. a snippet of the work environment. Claims, I'm a claims manager, so I know everything from Mrs. Jones's bumper to loss of life. And no matter what the circumstances was, and had a staff of about 60 or 70 people that I was responsible for. And yet, through this process, you know, I've got this boss. And, you know, I'm a Catholic. I'm not, I, I don't know what religion it is. And, and he's talking about it. And, you know, and I see these guys in here, in the workplace, with these Bibles. You know, what's going on? That's, that's not church and state thing. You can't bring it inside here. And then they would look at me unless I was a knucklehead and wouldn't say anything because I was the boss. So you really can't be disrespectful or fire you. So therefore, but what God was doing is God had disciples around. So I will add this point to you, that God will be using you to touch the lives of people and your life, and they're around you, and they're bumping into you, and you're bumping into others, and God's using this, and he did. And yet my boss, you know, he goes, hey, look, we're having this, I go to Watermark, and we're having this men's Bible study, so I'm not dumb, you know, I'm smart, and I'm like, well, if I don't go, and if I do something, then he's gonna hold that against me. So very respectfully, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go one time, if I go one time, will you leave me alone about this stuff and this church thing over here? Because I'm a Catholic, and remember, all those other people are going to hell. So I don't know why he's doing this. And yet his whole purpose, I guess, is understanding the work of God, is I only have to ask you one time because God will do the work. But he didn't say that. He just said, sure, David, I promise if, I, if you go one time, I will never bring it up to you again. And so I went. And that one time, uh, Wagner's talking about the purpose-driven life and what life should be and what God intends and how we should be. And I'm sitting there listening and thinking, well, this don't sound like what it's supposed to be. And yet it's caused me to kind of start to wonder. I'm wondering about why I'm working in this place. I'm wondering about these guys in the Bibles. I'm wondering now why he invited me to this. So this wonder, as God is nudging me, is causing me now to kind of really take a look at what life is really supposed to be. And so I'll lead right into that if, if you want me yep, to. Yep. And so here it is. 
you know, I go to this thing, and it's, it's in the fall, so it lasts about six or eight weeks, and that goes on, and then we come around into 2004, and these guys are still having dialogue, never threatening, never really causing me to feel judgment about what I believed, and it was, it was very, very subtle and very loving in how they were doing it, and, and so this day comes, and the day of salvation was truly wonderful today and 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 he had to get this sheet that was way over there and over there and down there and up there and and he had to go get him because he was constantly on the roam and so this day comes and and Aaronot he's one of the guys in the seminary and he's standing there and I said Aaron you know I I think God is trying to talk to me and Aaron turned at me, and his eyes got about that big, and he looked at me and smiled, never said a word, just looked at me and smiled. And, and so I said, okay, well, you know, I'm heading out. It's almost the end of the day. He was one of the ones that closed down the office. And so I picked up my briefcase and my lunchbox, and I walked out to the car. Now, I was working in Dallas at Midway and Alpha. So if you all know where Midway and Alpha is, pretty busy intersection in the 6 to 7 o'clock hour. And, I mean, I'm talking about North Dallas, rush hour traffic, midway, six-lane road, alpha cutting across, and I get to the corner, and I'm sitting at the light, and the light turns green, and I pull out into the intersection, and all I hear is, that's all I heard. I turned the wheel, put my foot on the brake, and went, and I looked at the car, and the bumper is like this close to my door, and I'm looking at the man, and his face is, and I'm looking at him, and I put it into reverse and back up a little bit, and he drives by, and I go across the intersection, and I'm driving like five miles an hour, and my heart starts racing because I know claims. I know what <laughs> should have happened right here. So as I'm cruising across the intersection, I look to the left, and there's a guy going like this. And I roll the window down, and it say, you know, you didn't see that guy? I said, no, where'd he come from? Oh, man, he made a left turn from the middle lane. I thought you were going to be dead. And I looked at him, and I kind of went, okay, and I just kind of went across, and I kid you not, as God is my witness, you don't have time. You That's don't you have think. time. There's no time for Romans 10, 9, and 10. There's no time to go all the way back to your 13. I was 48 to sit there and confess every sin I committed in thought, word, and deed to get repentance so that I could be saved in <gasps> that long. You don't have time. And so at this point, our relationship, Bonnie and I, are like this. There's frustration, there's kids, there's aggravation, there's yelling, there's screaming, there's cursing. It's just life that I just don't know what's going on in this household, and it's not enjoyable, and I don't know why I'm there, but I am there because I got kids, and I got to deal with them, and there's stuff. And Bonnie, and I come home, I don't know what my face looked like that day. But it was enough for her to look at me and go, well, well, what happened to you today? As soon as I walked in, and I said to her, well, God saved me today. And I kid you not, Bonnie went like this. Oh. And I understood what that meant to me. 
That meant you lying manipulator who always comes up with some type of story about something. Because remember, and, and, and Dave will talk about it, but there's a line in, in this book that says, you know, why are you so happy at 6 a.m.? Well, there was a time I used to come home at 6 a.m., believe me. So here she's now hearing, well, God saved me today. Oh, well, of all the things I could hear from you, that would not be it. And you said, just share, you saw, began to see us changing. Yeah, it, it, it was after, you know, the trust had to be built back up again because like, we've been deceived and lied to so much. So, yes, it took me and the kids a, a long time. But then I saw a man who was discipling his children and disciplining his children by getting out his Bible. I saw a husband that didn't expect perfection. Um, I could be myself and be accepted because before that, it was whatever he wanted to do was what we did. Um, so I truly saw a man that was living Galatians 5.22 and the fruits of the Spirit. I saw that he had love, true love, the love of God, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think the self-control is, is the most thing that I saw because he would, could be angry like that. Can't snap anymore. My fingers are too long. Um, but you know, I, I could see it, and then I could see it come yeah. back. And I so we really started to see. Uh, but it was a period of time for yeah, sure. That there was progression, and I think what's cool is to hear how that life change happens. You end up giving your life to Christ and getting baptized, and at Watermark, and David at Watermark, and and it's just been. If you are around David, you know, for very long, um, it, it's just an infectious. Um, um, his infectious relationship with Christ that he has. You know, if you're in Main Street Cafe, all of a sudden, you know, everybody's walking over and <laughs> talking about, hey, what, you know, and they're at Keller Point together. Dave's going to talk, tell you about Jesus if you're at Keller Point. And so that infection happened. But I want to get, we, we have about 10 minutes left or so, and I want to get to especially what's happened in the past year. You're working for another insurance agency, and you're getting to a point where Bonnie sees you getting up at 4 a.m., having to start working and then all day you're working till about 8 p.m. at night getting to a point where your job is really taking over your life even tell a story um, where you know one time the kids are at church here and they're saying hey um, hey we're going to come over and and you make a statement to Bonnie boy I hope they don't stay very long because I got a lot of work to do and it was that that you start seeing red flags and saying hey your job is really affecting our relationship, affecting your relationship with him. And you make a statement, which I think is a, a question to him, does your job really define who you are? And so that begins you to start thinking, this is a year ago, and you begin to think through that, and you start seeking the Lord, and you go to Bonnie and say, I feel like the Lord is, has something different for me, and I'm going to resign. And how do you react to that, Bonnie? And you understand the financial impact of that and everything like that. No other job. You're not, you don't have no. another job to no. go to. But how do you no. respond? To well, I think I, I was able to respond because uh, the Lord, I mean, you have to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And he was the one that prompted me to say to him, hey, you, you've been talking about doing, and, and I, you're missing out on a lot of discipleship opportunities. You're missing out on loving of your grandkids. And, and I really feel like the Lord has something different for him to do. So we just had to step out in trust and, 
And I mean, there have been, like I said at the beginning, so many times that you look back and you see God's fingerprints all over it. Even if it was a time that you're just like, ugh, down here, and you look, have, he gives you the opportunity to look back and see that and see that his fingers were still on it all the time. And so I just know him. And if you know him, you know he's either zero or 150%. So I know that, you know, he was not going to do what the Lord had for him to do doing his job because he's so committed to doing whatever he does the best he can, which doing your work for the Lord, yes, you should do it that way. But so it was just not, you know, the Lord was prompting me to say, hey, this is, this is, you need to stop and do what I feel like the Lord's calling you. So you call a family meeting, which I thought you have three daughters, you get them and their son and their son-in-law is on the phone and you share, hey, I'm going to go in tomorrow and resign. And it's interesting, Angela, your youngest, you've been talking to her about God's plan for her life. And she makes a statement, well, I guess we will see what God's plan is for your life, Dad. And so they see you living your faith right there in front of them. So August 30th, 2017, you walk in and submit your resignation. Your boss says, why don't you hold on to that for a day? The VP comes in and says, hey, you know, we can find another place for you but just really felt like this is what the Lord wanted you to do. So you start um, this journey, mm-hmm. and uh, I want to tell you how he handled this is so quality from a testimony standpoint in his workplace. Because, you know, he submits his resignation August 30th. Um, usually they walk you out, of the door, out the door when you got the type of information he has as an insurance, in the insurance business. But they Kept him around. They, you know, he said, I, I'll be done by September 15th. They talked to him, said, is there any way you can stay September 30th? He just left the job, you know, well and, and the testimony of it. And you walk out the door without any real plan, but, mm-hmm. but you've always talked about writing a book. Well, I had an idea. It, it, you know, Positive Perspective was this book that's been on my heart for a long time because there's so much negativism. You know, we tell them don't run. We really want them to walk. We say don't go outside without your coat. We'll put your coat on. And negativism is everywhere. And so I said to Bonnie, you know, I need to write this book. Well, that ain't what he planned. And what what it's really about is, is about life. It's about being a disciple. It's not just about being a Christian and a Christ follower without making disciples. And we do this every day, everywhere we go. We're constantly sowing the gospel because it's the gospel that changes the life of people. And as we live this life, so I sit down like this and go, okay, well, I guess you want me to write a book, but this is what I have. And so that day I began to write Walking the Way. And this is the book. Yeah, so this is oh. what he's produced and actually just sent it to the editor um, to, to do final revisions to it. And Bonnie, you've been involved in this and, and um, been involved in reviewing it. There's like 4,080 scriptural references for it. And you don't know what's going to happen with the book, nope. you just felt like God saying, let's, let me, let's, let's write this. And, um, you know, the one thing I want to read to you is as he went through this process, and, you know, it's pretty cool, the cover has him and his grandson Tate, right, on the cover, and just talking about leaving a legacy and walking and and sharing that. Um, But there got to a point where he's done with this, sent it to the editor, and he's got to find somebody to write the foreword to the book. And I I ask, and, and I've learned, and it says, and I believe everything 
he says. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I believe that. And I believe, he said, ask. And if you ask, I'll tell you. So I ask, and I am asking. So as we get done and I push it away and kind of go, oh, we're finished. Seven months to write this book. Seven months of reading and studying and researching and making sure scripturally it's correct and all of this. So I'm done, and I push it back, and I start asking, well, who's going to write the forward? I mean, I've got several brothers in my life. Who, who's going to write the forward? I just kept asking. No answer. And so one, one morning, and this is Romans 2, so be prepared for this too. Whatever comes out of your mouth, you might want to be listening to that as the Holy Spirit's working through you because... If you teach others, are you not teaching yourself? So you have to listen to things you say. So I'm sitting there, where we just got done doing our morning Bible study, and we have, in other words, we call it, and every day we read a scripture, and then we got to know what the context is, so we read the chapter. So we got done with that, and we were talking, and I said to her on a Saturday morning, now four weeks ago, I said, uh, oh, you're writing the foreword. And I kind of, because remember, I've been asking. And I just said to her, well, you're writing the foreword. And she turns around and looks at me and goes, really? I said, I guess. Because <laughs> you just got selected to write the foreword. Because I don't know who's going to write it. So she goes, well, okay. And so Bonnie wrote the foreword. And I just want to read a little bit of this. Because I think it tells, tells you their story. And here's what Bonnie wrote. Um, when first asked to write this, I thought it might be a little strange for the author's wife to write the foreword. The Lord saved us 15 years ago, and I've witnessed the life change that occurs when God gives you a new heart and puts his spirit in you. Before Jesus saved us, our life was similar to many of yours or people you know, filled with strife, deceit, pride, and all other kind of sin. But believe me, in 2003, if you would have told me God would place it on his heart to write a book about discipleship, I would have laughed in your face. Why? Our hearts were as far as the, as the east is from the west from God. Our marriage was a wreck, full of selfish desires and disregard for each other. We were so thankful for God's saving grace and mercy, but yet had only scratched the surface of the true love God has for us. But God in his mercies restored our marriage and has allowed us to see and live the wonderful life he has intended for a husband and wife, man and woman, dad and mom, Papa and Grandma, and servants of the Lord. I've seen firsthand the inspiration from the Lord written down on paper. Writing a book sounds easy until you sit down to complete the task. I've watched David diligently ask God for wisdom as he wrote, prayed, and believed the Spirit of God was with him in his work of writing this book. I know there are many wives desiring their husband, desiring their husband to be a spiritual leader in their family. I was one. I can tell you there was constant prayer for God to change the heart of my husband. It may sound crazy to you, but we all should desire to be married to a man that loves God more than he loves us. Why? Because the love he has for God and God has for him flows from God through David to me. I am the recipient of the love of Jesus through my husband. I am so thankful God has shaped David into the man of God. His life reflects the love of Jesus and how he lives, serves, and loves the Lord and others. Reading, editing, and discussing this book has changed my life. I have a renewed understanding there is so much more to a true, intimate relationship with God than just reading his word, going to church, and being a, quote, good person. I pray it will change your life as well. Thank you, David, for being a man after God's own heart, being obedient, listening, being still, 
and following the commands of the Lord, putting down on paper all that God intended so he will use it to change the lives of many, a true imitation of God's love, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. I love you. Bonnie. Dave, thank you. Before you do that, I would like to say these two things to the husband. Yes, I, I would like to do that. We didn't I, get to do that first service, that? but I, I'm going to let, I want Bonnie to share with the ladies, so I may have okay. to cut you off. You have two right, minutes. Well, two, it ain't going to be that long. Okay. Your wife is your helper, along with the Holy Spirit, who is also your helper, given to you by God. Love, honor, and cherish your wife. Honor and be obedient to God, the Holy Spirit, and love like God loves you. Your wife is watching your blind spots. Listen to her with ears to hear and respond in love to her promptings as you would the promptings of God. God may be using her since she is one flesh with you. And the other is uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I don't know about you, but I will tell you, I do not want the prayers that I send to God to be hindered because I'm not loving and honoring and treating my wife like God loves and treats me. So be mindful of that helper that God has given you because believe me, out of the blind spot can come anything. And she's watching for you. Bonnie, what would you say to the ladies here? Well, um, by faith this mentioned 19 times in Hebrews 11. And I think that by faith is how we have to live. And I think regardless of your situation, whether you're married or not married, we all have people in our lives that we can talk about similar things that you've heard this morning. And God is our hope. And when you trust and believe that he can restore and you need relationship, whether it's a father, children, husband you, and wife, Jesus. anything, he can restore that relationship and make it an intimate relationship with each other like we should have with him. Um, for you specifically, ladies, that are married, I would say, again, pray for your husband. Not to be the man you want him to be. Pick up his clothes, make, the, make a mess in the bathroom, you know, help out with it. It's not that. But pray for him to be the man that God wants him to be. To be that godly man that desires to obey and follow the Lord. And, and just pray for that diligently. And um, if... If that is the way that he is living, then God is going to continue to build him up. And um, just, just continue to pray and um, believe and have faith in the only true God. And um, you will get to see, if you haven't read or you don't know about 1 Corinthians 13 and what love should look like, put it on your refrigerator, read it talk about it, emulate it, ask God to put that kind of love 
in your marriage and restore your marriage or your relationship. But that there's hope that God can do anything with Amen. anybody yeah. and restore anyone, regardless of what you've done Amen. or what he is the restorer of life. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I really appreciate their story. Here's some pictures. There's their three daughters and um, the two son-in-laws right now. And, um, you know, there's the whole clan with the grandkids and um, the ladies in the family and David and the, the guys. Tate doesn't look too happy. But I just appreciate <laughs> their willingness to share their faith story. I hope it was uh, encouraging to you. Um, I'm going to dismiss them now. Uh, they're going to go back to the corner. Maybe today you just want to talk to one of them. I would encourage you, if you um, have never um, had that relationship with Jesus Christ today, that it maybe has been more of a religion type thing, I would encourage you to, to um, I'd be, I'll be up here at the front and we have people at each of the corners that you would talk to. Um, and maybe you're going through a tough time in your marriage and, and you need some support and prayer. There's people there that David and Bonnie will be back there. Um, wherever you're going through, we're here for you and, and want you to um, um, just know that we're here and that you'll take those steps toward God and let God change your life. And so I appreciate, I appreciate them. Give them a round of applause. This wasn't easy for them to do. Um, but I appreciate them sharing their faith story. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father God, I thank you um, for just um, Dave and Bonnie's story. And I know there's stories all over this congregation of your redemptive power and your redemptive love for us. And I just thank you for, for David and Bonnie um, sharing what you've done in their lives and are doing in their lives, just their daily step and walk of faith. And I just pray for us all. I pray for folks here today that maybe have never put their faith and trust in you, never had a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that they'll consider that today and take those steps because um, they just don't want to wait until it's too late. And so I just pray for people here to take that step of faith and accept you as Savior today. And I just pray for marriages maybe that are hurting and, and uh, ladies that uh, just need a, a shot in the arm to be faithful in prayer for their husbands. Lord, I pray um, for, you know, just all, all the things we have going on in our lives and the focus um, when we put our faith and trust and focus on you, how you will provide and you will direct our paths. So I just thank you and praise you for our time together. Thank you for this faith story and what you're doing in, in our lives. And we just give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.